Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Jim Gray. Hey, hey. Talking about Gray. Jim Gray. Jim Jam. Gray Slide. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Attention, skateboarding football fans. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be in the game this year, but you can still be on the action at Bet Online. I know I'm going to bet more when they add a wager for when the cardboard cutouts start a fight with each other. Then I'm going to be super stoked. So from game spreads to totals, team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, so it's recording now. Um, it'll send a link to the cloud, and then I'll just send you a link to it. So. Okay, that's fine. Um, All right. Okay. Well, um, welcome. We're gonna we're gonna start this show the way this show starts always, and that's uh, with the the most simple question that identifies who the fuck is here, and that's I'm Jim Gray. Who the hell are you? <laughs> well, I'm Kent Dahlgren, friend of Jim Gray. Friend of Jim Gray, you are a friend of Jim Gray, dude. I like you. I mean, we it's weird. we don't talk, we don't talk a lot, um, but when we do, it's always happy. It's always fun. We've always uh, we've always clicked. Um, so let me. I got a gym story. I got okay, a gym go story ahead, though. Go ahead, start with a gym we're, story. We're, we're skating this skate park alongside the Arkansas River in North Little Rock, otherwise known as Dogtown, and Jim's doing his thing, which which is if you've ever skated with Jim, he's hauling ass to the park, talking to himself because he's just having the time of his life. And these kids come over and they're like, who's that? And I was like, I think it's Tony Hawk. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Hawk. (laughs) And they look at me and they're like, you're full of shit. That's not shit. I weigh about a hundred pounds more and don't have anywhere of the talent. So. That's Do you remember cool. that? Remember that those kids are showing up on scooters holding a case of beer. It's straight Arkansas, right? Oh, no, Arkansas was awesome. In fact, <laughs> oh my god, that was about that. But uh, I'm very <laughs> thankful that you invited me to come out to Arkansas and hang out with you guys. That so, was fun. So let's start there. Kent uh, Kent Dahlgren is um, he's a OG Portland boy, um, uh, and you can tell the story to, to what extent that's true or not. Um, I met Kent as I was kind of pushing the skateboard industry to do something to promote skate parks. They were very oblivious to the fact skate parks were just happening haphazardly. Um, and Kent happened to have formed a group with a bunch of uh, skaters around the country called Skaters for Public Skate Parks. Um, yeah. About- well, the- Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say it's about the same time. <clears throat> that's that's where well, we the- connected. The genesis of Skaters for Public Skate Parks is actually the Burnside Park in Portland, which I was um, uh, one of the <clears throat> core original members of. And and I and I actually have been interviewed on this topic a lot of times. And I, I told people that if I were going to write a book about the Burnside story, I, I'm torn between two titles. One of them is 
um, <clears throat> five years of failure and the other one is one bag at a time. And like <laughs> five years of failure is that we've been trying to build renegade spots since the 80s uh, because Burnside was uh, originally you know, established in 1990. But since the mid 80s, I'd been involved in political advocacy and learned that the cities don't really care, right? Like they, they, they say don't pay they, attention. Yeah, they, they, don't, yeah. they don't pay attention. <clears throat> yeah, unless you've got money in a vote, they don't care. And so you know, um, I had spoken eloquently at meetings. This is when I was a teen, and I had been. It was an. I was a. It was an awful experience, and I, um, because they don't. They don't care. And so these these people who had cut their teeth in the civil uh, rights um, uh, era had taken me under their wing and really taught me a lot about how to be a more effective advocate. Some of these people were what they call guerrilla gardeners. So they would. We'd go on bike rides in the middle of the night and throw um, wildflower seeds into empty lots, and they would transform into something like parks. Right. And of course, nobody knew who did it and we had this sort of credo you know you can't see us you can't hit us so we'd ride around dressed in black on bikes the lights, gardening. See that's, yeah. a, that's something i've never heard of i'm that that actually made me smile yeah so the so the gorilla gardeners talked a lot about the smash and grab and again these people had had cut their teeth during the civil rights era and so for five years we had tried to build renegade spots and uh you know I mean, not even not even what six or eight months before Burnside, Red and uh, Jay and Brett and myself had built a a wooden bowl on the, the northwest Portland, and um, and you know it was torn down not even three days later, but it was worth it because after five years you get just that savage about how to pull this off. So totally, yeah, it is the savage yeah. desire to ride something. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is <laughs> you know you can you guys I like to say skateboarding's been criminalized since the Carter era and have you noticed it making any difference? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's only becoming more popular and kids just it just becomes a form of gameplay and I've got you know five kids uh, my two sons are uh, adults one of them is a pretty pretty um, pretty avid skater and he's just one of those kids man he's like so then how we did this are, and we did this boys now because I remember sleeping on your floor yeah. um, at one of the trifectas <laughs> and. Yeah, uh, yeah. And those, they were teenagers then at most, if that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ezra's uh, 23. He's an author. Isaac's uh, 19. And he's just, you know, you're like, I mean, he's like us at that era, man. He's one of those kids. You'll send me a video and he's, uh, uh, you know, one of those kids that's doing lip tricks while looking at the camera. Totally dead. Oh, I love he's that. One of I those, love that. You know, and he's on a borrowed board and he's just basically, it's like just one pure improvisational nonsense thing. But he's a Burnside baby because I met his mom at Burnside, right? So, yeah. Um, but anyway, the other title that I would do for the Burnside book is uh, One Bag at a Time, because that's how you do these things. You don't do it all at once. It's uh, um, uh, one bag at a time. It's toil and labor and the whole deal. So anyway, fast forward, I'd been through a few years of advocacy and learned that uh, there might be some benefit in launching a national organization um, just in terms of really perception. And so that was the Skaters for Public Skate Parks um, nonprofit. And it brought a lot of people under the umbrella that were um, that were established advocates. And it was in that context that I got to, to realize that you were really making some waves um, within um, the International Association of Skateboard Companies. So maybe I'll pass the baton back over because there's a cool overlap there. Uh, as I remember going to California, we realized, dude, we're working at the same, we're working in the same direction, but from, from different sides. So oh, completely. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that and say, so what happened is, you know, I would go to these meetings and um, I got to say, for the most part, the industry is pretty oblivious of what happens in skateboarding. You know, they're more caught up in like their team guys, the videos they're putting out, marketing, trying to sell stuff. And they're not really paying attention to what's going on in the street. You know, I being a guy who grew up in the, you know, the first private skate parks was, you know, hungering for more concrete and missed skate parks and loved the fact that skate parks were coming you know, had been involved in the Huntington Beach Skate Park, which was one of the first new public skate parks in decades, you know, so on and so forth. So I was just always, I had this whole skate park bug in inside of me and I was always pushing them saying, what I've come to see is 
skate parks don't happen without advocates. You know, it's got to be a parent, a skater, a teacher. You know, I mean, so, somebody has to be going to the city and starting the ball because the city rarely starts it on their own. You know, and right. uh, and and I would just keep talking to it. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a, a three page little a little three fold over eight and a half by eleven thing that just says, you know, skate parks happen because of you. Get involved. Blah blah blah. I was just trying to get. I asked behind the thought of doing anything. Okay, mm -hmm. and then finally, when they at least started. Uh, mm -hmm agreeing to the fact that yeah we need to do something i know sps had formed and some chatter started on the sps uh bulletin boards like you know what the fuck are these guys doing they've never been here before you know blah 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 st suddenly stepping in and i'm just kind of laughing i'm like well you know i remember stepping into the bulletin board and saying hey guys you know the industry doesn't know what the fuck's going on we didn't know you guys existed because the industry is pretty oblivious to what's going on even as far as things like advocacy and stuff like that in a lot of ways. Um, and it was like, why don't we just do this together? Let's do our right. horsepower. We have the horsepower to get this stuff out there. You guys obviously have the passion, which I was really stoked on the passion. I, I still right. explain to this day to people how awesome I thought it was that there was like a regional director for this area and that area. <clears> and <throat> all these amazing skaters were willing to donate their time and show up and help people write things and, you know what I mean? Teach them how to talk and, so, um, so thus began the, the connection between us. And then it was just a matter of like, uh, you know, once we got through that first little rocky spot, it was like, you know, how do we make this thing happen? And I know I came up and met you at uh, <clears throat> San Jose. Uh, you guys had a meeting <clears throat> up there. Um, and, and I was really stoked to meet you. And I will still never forget driving from San Jose to Santa Cruz with you and you texting, <laughs> on your, texting me paragraphs on your flip phone while, while driving Highway 17, which is one of the windiest, <laughs> most dangerous roads around. I'm going, Steering with my knees. Shit, what kind of psychotic <laughs> man did I get myself involved in? Um, and then we went yeah. to skate, Scotts Valley Skate Park and had a great time. But uh, well, our first uh, our first annual summit was in Haley, Idaho, which was actually a park I helped build uh, with Dreamland. That's got the you know the full pipe and the, uh -huh. and all that, <clears throat> and uh, and its coverage in, in Thrasher said uh, I think the title was uh, Skate Park Nerds uh, Unite or something like that, sort of like a demeaning thing. Uh, and Tony Hawk did show up for that, and that was cool. The 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 thing about the the skate park nerds thing is um is there some there's some truth to that? Is it you know. I would say the people that were the most uh, ardent and hardworking members of the team are the kind of people that would wear full pads on a four foot mini, yeah. right? So they're not they're not like spectacular, but it doesn't diminish their passion for skateboarding in the least. And in fact, I found that they were really really hard workers, um, uh, and they actually came from significantly important backgrounds, right? So you know, like um, it, it, a common thing that you get from cities is we don't want to have a skate park because it's loud, and so then you know in order to dismiss that particular criticism it doesn't hurt to have an audio engineer on the on the on the team and so as it turns <laughs> out we, we didn't we didn't just have one we had several including um the noise control officer for the city of portland that's pretty funny <laughs> and uh and also the audio engineer for the b-52s at the time now he's the audio engineer for the beach boys so you know when they would issue a report it was a little bit difficult to refute their findings that at 50 feet the sound of skateboardings was uh, on par with the um, sound level of a normal conversation right so yeah you know these people really really were good um but unfortunately their their visibility to the to the broader industry is a little bit limited so you know when when naming well, the broader somebody, industry doesn't look right i mean that's the thing I, I found to be interesting is that you know we would just go with demand and what we found was that um there's pretty significant interest in keeping kids from getting being hit by cars in south dakota and the skateboard industry you know is mostly just looking at uh you know florida or 
California or other stuff like that. So there ended up being kind of a, a, a they didn't really overlap very well. Um, or they're teaching so it, kids how to fly down rails into the middle of the street and get hit by cars. Yeah. And, you know, so. Yeah. And I can tell you that that, I mean, having been a handrail guy in my time and I'm 53, just put it in context. So I'm not jumping downstairs anymore, Yeah, <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, that is part of the fun. But anyway, the, getting back to, to one thing that you said, is that, um, we'd brought together a lot of these people and I, and I, and I, I did the same methodology that you were recommending is that, you know, let's just go to those people who had, who had done it successfully. And so I had called them at the time I was working at, at Xerox. And so I had this, you know, good cover. I would have my, my, my day job <laughs> managing, yeah. managing engineering stuff at Xerox. And I would call and say, can you send me your binder? Because they all had a binder. They all had a three ring binder and nobody read it except for the person that compiled it. And it told the story of how they got the skate park. Sure. Yeah, and after meetings, receiving all the notes, yeah. yeah, all the letters, all that stuff. When you read them at some point, you realize they all follow the same process over and over again. And we use that as the framework for what we called the skate park adoption model, which became the framework of the book that we collaborated on yeah. um, um, uh, you uh, you know you representing international association of skateboard companies us skaters for public skate parks and the tony hawk foundation which resulted in the public skate park development we'll talk guide. more about that how we how we did that that was that was amazing i'm very proud of that you know yeah. not a lot of people know i had anything to do with that but you know as far as i'm concerned i was the i i was the quiet driving force who knew how to make it happen. No, you definitely were the glue that brought that together because all three of those entities needed to have something and, and they were missing. It's like we were just missing each other. So yeah. Well, you were and the they normally fought. That was the problem. In skateboarding, right. we've been so taught from the freaking tracker indie wars of the freaking 80s that we're supposed to fight with each other. And everybody in skateboarding tends to fight over stuff rather than saying, how do we do it together? Right. You know, everybody wants the credit for it. Everybody wants to look cooler. I mean, let's even go back for a second and talk about when you talk about Thrasher Magazine saying the nerds, you know, built the skate park. But when it comes to the credit for all the skate parks across this country, Thrasher Magazine gets like almost zero credit for that other than putting a picture in it. They weren't out helping advocate advocacy. They were probably hindering it more. It was yeah. the actual nerds that knew enough, that cared enough, that were willing to spend their time, that went out and fought for it fought to get these things done, fought to get those parks built, fought to get that book printed, which they supported none of. You know what I mean? They just, they reap the benefits, well, but they don't. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny though. I mean, you were, you were a pretty popular and famous guy in your, and in, in, in still, right, obviously, but the, three people, in the though, skateboarding I mean, time, right, but, but, but check this, but check this out. So if you grew up in Oregon, like I did, and you were a skater, you were not a cool guy. So I always think it's hilarious because I still get this crap now. I'm 53, right? And there'll, there'll always be like a young woman that's like, I always thought the skaters were cute. And I'm like, dude, that did not happen. That is not true. It <laughs> not happen to me too. I didn't have any girls walking up in the 80s going, you're a skater. That's hot. <laughs> I tell people I wrote a skateboard because I was afraid of the ball and I couldn't do any other sports. <laughs> and so, you know, I, the thing is, is it, it's not, it's, it, we're all nerds, right? I mean, we're doing this probably because we, we couldn't play army anymore. So we started skateboarding and it turns out it's a lot more fun to play army with. But the reality guards. is the nerds, the nerds <laughs> helped skateboarders more than the cool guys because the yeah. nerd actually went out there and wrote this book and taught you how a city council worked, taught you how to pick a site, taught you about do's and don'ts and so on and so forth. The nerd Kent Dahlgren and others read those three ring binders and put it together. Um, oh, I, I oh, was dude. just being a guy who skated. What's that? <laughs> Oh, well, at Xerox, we had what's called a war room, which is a pretty big room, and it, and it, it breaks a copier into its its atomic elements so you can figure out its pricing and, and all that other stuff. It's it's uh, engineering. Well, I had literally taken a war room and decomposed the binders and created a 
on in the war room on the wall, they overlap. But actually, what this was is we had defined a five-step process that began with the vision, and then it goes out. Because see, but it's because I'd gone through all these binders. I did it in a war room. That's some nerdy shit right there. <laughs> I love that. No, that's amazing. It's the skaters of the world should realize that that people fought for them while the industry, in a sense, was fighting against them. You know what I mean? It wasn't really easy for me to even talk the industry into doing anything. It was so not on their radar. And I was there screaming, mm -hmm. going, do you guys realize what's going to happen if this skate park boom happens, which it's going to, and nothing but shitty skate parks get built across this country, yeah. and then one day kids aren't skateboarding, and you're all wondering why you can't fucking sell a skateboard. And yeah. you guys aren't even smart enough to, to think... That should be one of your major priorities. Let's make sure skate parks are built well. Let's make sure they're thought out. Let's make sure they they satisfy a lot of riders and so on and so forth. And they still never really got that into it. I was really the only one who really pushed, you know, to move that forward. So when you guys started, it was just such a lucky find. And then I remember mm -hmm. we thought, then the thing became like, okay, how do we finance this? And we were lucky yeah. that Tony Hawk had an <laughs> advocacy group that was basically more of a, we help out how we can. We use Tony's name to raise money. We donate it back to cities. So they had money. Mm -hmm. So it was mm -hmm. nice to say, hey, how about we have these boots on the ground, the Skaters Republic Skate Parks guys write this thing. We right. take the money that you guys collect for advocacy and we take the industry's roots to actually get it in the hands of the consumers and combine those three. And I'm so stoked and proud that we were able to make that happen because it worked. It made it happen. Yeah. It got thousands of those copies out there and in what last 10 years, I mean, how many friggin' skate parks do we have built? Who knows how many of them came from that? I guarantee a hell of a lot of them did, you know. Well, after, after um, my tenure with Skaters for Public Skate Parks, I was invited to serve on the board of the Tony Hawk Foundation for two years. And they do a pretty good job of data compilation. And the data that they compiled suggested that it used to take five to seven years to, from um, concept inception to ribbon cutting. Uh, but after our effort, it went down to 18 to 36 months. And that actually is it's consistent with what we had seen because our, our directive was a greater number of high, higher quality parks built sooner. It's like those are all three quantitative measures. And again, you know, I'm a nerd. I'm an engineer, engineering manager type. I need my quantitative measures. And so I would say that we did succeed in that because, you know, it, 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 what we had done was introduce what Pete Whitley called a typology, which actually introduces a language. We actually had created the framework for creating better advocates. And that's a really important nuance there. We helped them become successful by just repurposing content that other people had already used, right? It's actually yeah. very, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gift of service to the community. And so what was really cool to notice is that people would get the book, they would then take notes in it, they dog ear the pages, it became in effect the framework of their own binder, but then they became a little bit addicted to advocacy. So they would do one skate park, they do a second skate park, they do a third. They, and what's interesting, it's now been a generation and those same people are in the trenches trying to figure out how to rebuild our communities as the government appears to be falling on its side. So, you know, that's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> it's interesting. And what's interesting in that whole thing is, well, you know, it makes me, it makes me exceptionally proud is obviously being involved in putting all these pieces together that right. Peter Whitley, who was one of your advocates, you know, who then later became, I think he ran the organization for a while. Um, His later, program director, yeah. Is, is now runs the Tony Hawk Foundation, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, well, you know, you know, so the, so the thing with Pete actually was cool. You know, the Dungeons and Dragons game, he was the art director for that. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, he's come from the yeah, and, and, 
And I mean, he's got to be one of the most creative and amazing people. And I loved working with him. And I'll tell you why. He never agreed with me. He would challenge every single thing I said. But every time it was like the rock tumbler metaphor I talk about. You put rocks in a tumbler and it just beat the crap out of each other. But it makes the concepts, it makes the stones more smooth. But, it, but through this, I would call Pete and I'd say, let's go through this again. And he says, I, I don't know if I understand. You're just going to need to make it more simple. God, I thought I was going to freak out. But he, but he totally helped refine the, the concept. Well, and, I can uh, see that. P Peter cracks me up when I talk to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's a, he and I were in a documentary called uh, Freedom of Space that also featured Edmund Bacon from, um, you know, the, he's the father, father of modern Philadelphia and Kevin Bacon's dad. So I think I saw anyway, that. yeah. And, and the guys who did the film said every time we talked to Pete, he gave us an answer we didn't expect, but it was the right one. And there's one in there where they were talking about why is it that people criminalize skateboarding and they, and they go through all these reasons. And Pete says, no, it's none of those things. It's because they're not customers. <laughs> and it was a strangely <laughs> prescient view because that's how these communities have become. They're essentially uh, economic apartheid. You know, you don't really want skaters there because they're not customers. You're yeah. supposed to be getting, you know, good, obedient consumers, you know? So anyway, yeah, no, it's actually funny because I remember last time, I, when, last time I see Pete, I saw Pete at a wedding um, for Amelia Broadcom, who actually got married uh, to Alex, who also I think works for the Tony Hawk Foundation. Uh, and Tony Hawk was there and blah, blah, blah. But, but Pete just started just talking to me about my posts on social media. And he, he described how they would be this or that. And, and, and it was a complete compliment. But it was with a whole bunch like I had the, the rocks had to go through the tumbler first. Mm -hmm. Like he had to beat my head against the wall, um, right. you know, and 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 I don't know, straighten out my ego, you know, yeah. <laughs> Clar clarify my my arrogance or whatever the hell you want to say. But then tell me he loves it. and He loves me. You know, what I mean, it's like. But, Thanks, Pete. but this is but this is but this is what I like about skateboarders because that's actually how I staff my organization that's how you and I work we don't kiss each other's asses this is what I dig about you is that you challenge 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 all the time and it gets all the way back to just what it was like to skate like I remember we used to break into this uh, uh, barn ramp and we'd skate it but then they figure out we were there and they turn the power off in the house which was perilous so every time you're riding of course you just know the power could go out at any moment and oh, you can end up in the dark and that would happen inevitably right yeah and uh, uh and then of course you fall you hit the deck it hurts like hell and then your friends say karma as if it's somehow your fault and now we got to get out of there because we know they're coming after us right <laughs> this is the skateboarding culture it's from a place of love but it's you know tough love right <laughs> oh my god i love it it's so funny that yeah. made me think of ollieing over a hip once at a backyard party, and mm -hmm. there's a band playing, and the and the freaking power surged and went out, and I'm in the air <laughs> in the blackness, and all I remember landing on my opposite heel and getting the worst heel bruise ever because I had no idea where I was going to land. <laughs> Check yeah. this out. I was skating. I was skating this park, and this kid says, and I love kids by the way because they're so surly. And I'm one of those older tattooed skaters. They call me a hash up in Oregon, right? So uh, this kid's like, don't ride today, man. You're going to get hurt. And I said, why? And he says, because you're fat. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm like 5'9", 175. I'm not super fat, but, you know, I'm not like, you know, this 11-year-old kid or whatever. I don't know how old he was. But anyway, um, of course, I fell and I landed on my uh, wedding ring finger and I literally broke my finger. And so I had to pull the, I had to pull the ring off over the broken finger. Uh, um and so I did, and I kind of come out of that, like, like almost ready to pass out because of the pain. And so I'm sitting, on, and I'm ready to vomit, right? I'm sitting on my ass. This kid rides by just then and looks at me deadpan in the face and says, I told you you were going to get hurt today, fat ass. <laughs> oh, man. 
Kids. And I'm like, God damn it, I love those kids so much. <laughs> it's not mean. He, he was totally right. He also yeah. loved you because you were out there skating and he had respect for you. you know? That was the thing. I mean, what he was trying to tell me is there's pines. The city put pine trees around the skate park so the pollen comes down and it's basically icy slick. That's what he's trying to tell me. Oh, but he's shit. using the he's using the love language of a you know eleven to fourteen year old. <laughs> yes, that's funny. That's a funny side sidebar. No matter how well thought out people think their skate parks, there's always a random surprise. You know, yeah. the dust yeah. that blows into a bowl and polishes it into an ice skating rink. Uh, the <laughs> sap true. that dries into the deadly, uh, deadly right. thing. The one corner doesn't get any light, so it's always wet. You know, whatever. The, yeah, that's it. That's it. So there's definitely yeah. a, long, a long ways to go. Well, the funny thing is when you talk about being an engineer, an engineering nerd at Xerox, I, I, I have to publicly say thank you because at, at Acme for a while, I had a wonderful Xerox printer there. Um, oh, I helped design that product. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right. You were able to provide me ink and everything. So this was skateboarders helping out skateboarders. This was one of the yeah. early, like, yeah, skateboarders can help skateboarders. You sent me ink for my color printer that was made of wax, which I thought was awesome. Much better than the ink. Yeah. Um, and has that ever really caught on? I've always looked for it, but never seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it has. I mean, that was... Um... Yeah, there's stories. I totally forgot that you were uh, using one of those. Um, yeah. When you would when you would do a product, at the, at the, what they do is they do a hand built um, prototype at the end of a project, uh, uh, not at the end, but at the beginning of the project. And then once they've established feasibility, it goes to manufacturing, and then they end up building it in a far less reliable way because you don't really have to. Like if someone's going to have the copier for three years, you don't need to make it bulletproof. But anyway, at the end of the project, they give people like me these prototype ones and they end up running forever. So these things have printed out millions of pages for political campaigns and all other stuff. It's a pretty, pretty decent deal because the, because I'm an advocate, I'm, you know, technically a hacktivist and they say, you know, freedom of the press only belongs to those who actually have one. So I'm a big fan of getting those materials into the hands of fellow advocates. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thank you for that. That was awesome. It was a great thing to have. And it was, it was, it was, fun and useful and i remember it, you know it, it showed me what a nerd you were that you were part of an engineering team at xerox making freaking crazy parts with uh with wax that dripped instead of ink you know it's funny i was i was, uh, I, I was managing engineering teams and i had an opportunity to play with something that i had again the, the the burnside one was in 1990 i was you know in my early 20s and we'd spent five years trying to figure out how to make this work and what made it work was just the right alchemy of personalities uh, and um, and I thought a lot about that. Um, actually, that really informed how I build engineering teams later at Tektronics and at Xerox, and I got into security industry. And so this is actually what informed my work in hacktivism circles as well. And it, I took it all the way back to skaters for public skate parks. I found that you have to have a certain mix of personalities. They can't all be Kents. They can't all be Jims. They have to be a, a blend of them. But that's actually in that's actually what we do when we put together a crew, a, a guys you skate with. If you think about what it was like the crew that you skated with jim when you were a teens I've it ended up having a mix were like me everybody yeah was yeah like me, you know yeah and, and it ends up being this 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 catalyzing moment where you you challenge each other from different directions and it's always that thing i don't know how to put it into words but i've been fascinated by it and uh so yeah i mean it was cool because you know in effect places like xerox you know i got to use millions of their dollars fine-tuning a, a model and uh, on how to actually build a high-performing team <laughs> and it was just because, skaters, because by the nature of our being a little bit transient and going into areas let's face it, your average kid grows up where he grows up he doesn't roam into other neighborhoods to do what he does you know what i mean not very often uh -huh. he plays in a football team he right. goes to the city goes to the freaking football stadium and then leaves skateboarders 
roam right. in the backyards. They ride mini ramps. They ride pools. They find spots if there's right. now with skate parks, they roam. And so with that, you're going to come across people that are raised differently than you, that have different economics right. than you, that speak differently than you. And skateboarding sort of takes a little bit of that natural fighting thing that comes between people when they don't, when they're not just like each other. You know what I mean? It takes part of that away. You know what I mean? The people just want to get in each other's face when they don't know each other or where they're from. But skateboarding sort of eliminates a bit of that. So we get exposed to lots of different people, you know, with lots of different right. education levels, lots of different economic levels, so on and so forth. So I think skateboarders are really well-rounded people because of um, what we expose ourselves to. You know, I never yeah, felt I, like I fit in when I was skateboarding, ever. You know what I mean? I had no friendship with most people was skateboarding. Almost everything about, think about how I thought and, you know, what I wanted to do with my own life so, so, was always different than most of the skaters I was with. But our commonality was skateboarding. And as far as even in the industry and the culture, it took me a long time to earn that because a lot of the guys I grew up with in the 80s I thought I was just a super clean cut dude, blah, 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 blah. But in the 90s when no one would fucking make them a skateboard and I was like, well, come to my factory, I'll make you a skateboard. You know what I mean? Like, right. they turned their back on them. I think they realized that at the core, I was still just a guy who loved skateboarding. You know, maybe I was more. Well, this is what I than They were or whatever, but uh, but it took a long time to overcome that. You know, within probably more in the culture than. But when you go to a skate spot, nobody gives a shit. They're like, oh, that guy's different. But you know, right. Well, just, well this is what I liked about the nerds. Actually, I mean, I, I still do this. I still climb fences, right? Because you know, why not? I, I the fence to me is. I'm going to do sense. one tonight at five thirty at a miniature golf course. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like literally, it's like a recommendation, and it's one that I take loosely, right? And actually, even now, you know, we'll we'll uh, you know, we're in Portland. We come home, and the girls, my, I got twins that are seven, you know, and so they we come through that they burst through the door, and it'd be snowing in Portland, and they tell their mom, you know, we were just whipping shitties in the golf course with dad. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Shh." laughs> yeah, don't yeah. tell mom; she's kind of uptight. <laughs> right, but the thing is, is that you know, like what I like about the nerds is you don't have the luxury of building an exclusive circle, and actually, you play it forward a few decades and these people create a uh, pretty decent statesman which is actually you know not the same as um statesmanship's not the same as politics these are people that can cross that divide and really work with people and i'm literally not talking politics i'm talking about people just working with one another totally, in their respective communities you know what i mean yeah and like, I, would, I would say i consider myself more of a statesman than a politician absolutely absolutely i like bringing people together it's always been part of who i am i introduce people to people i know someone has a yeah. need someone else has a talent i put them together you know and i and i love that and uh uh, and I, I hate people that play politics. I hate people when someone's playing right. something just for their own gain or to elevate themselves or whatever. And it actually sickens me to watch, right. you know, um, and uh, right. that's why, though, I mean, we don't. Well, this is, I mean, that's the thing. But you're the kind of guy that would climb a fence while laughing so you can go shake someone's hand because what they're doing is similar to something you saw two years ago. That's like totally, totally how you are. <laughs> and I saw that Jesus, you and your kids, we were at that place. We were at that, was it a Waffle House there outside a, 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 a Little Rock? And we we're just laughing our goddamn asses off. And your poor boys were so embarrassed. Oh, Jesus, it was fun. That was like the funnest trip. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't and, you're, and you're and you're up politic and you're like, hey i'm jim gray who the hell are you <laughs> oh my god life is funny um <laughs> so let's let's move let's talk about fast forward i mean you you're a you're a burnside og you 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 know you're always working you help the skate park uh, culture grow you know um and then now you've moved into a little bit more community-based stuff. And why don't you tell us about that? How you, um, you know, Tell us what you're doing and then tell us what, well, what you're doing and then how you got there. 
Well, it's funny. We're working on a project right now in East Austin, um, and it's about it's a, it's a, it's basically it's about if you go for a walk and you walk in a circle uh, for about an hour, you cover about a three mile area, right? And and within that area is about twelve hundred homes and about five thousand residents, and uh, the per capita income is about half of Austin. And so what we're doing is um, working with a company called uh, um, uh, Future Sense Labs, my friend Ruth, and I own a company called Two Fourteen Alpha, and then we're working with a woman named. Jennifer with Casilla um, Ventures um, to do an economic um, rejuvenation from within the community uh, by introducing regenerative um, philosophies and practices, which, you know, all of a sudden we've done a lot of code switching here. And so uh, uh, what we're basically doing is um, uh, delivering uh, a model for self-governance and sovereignty uh, uh, into the community. So the community would be able to manage their own affairs. Mm-hmm. And and so what got me there, because of course, <clears throat> it's funny because I talked to, you know, our friend Per Willinder, I talked to him last year and he said, the guy's telling him about 214 Alpha. And he says, it's funny, you know, because he has that great Swedish lilt to his voice. He's like, it's funny, we were talking about anarchy in the 80s and you're actually doing it. And I was like, I know, but don't tell people that because they don't know what the word anarchy means. Yeah, the word anarchy scares people. Yeah. <laughs> it freaks people out. Thinking for yourself. Uh, it, it, uh, Actually, I saw this really funny meme last night, and it's, uh, uh, it, it's a, a picture from the Planet of the Apes, and it says, me trying to explain my political ideology when normie, to normies without using the word anarchy, and the caption says, apes together strong. <laughs> <Just like>. <laughs> <laughs> so, the thing is, is that I, I think it's more accurate to say a voluntarius, because what we're talking about is not, like, the word anarchy has a bad bad ring to it because people think we're talking about chaos they think we're talking about destroying the government but you're we actually have to about helping yeah that's we're like helping we literally people. don't we don't have to destroy the government the government's doing a pretty decent job of that all by itself sure, and right? i wouldn't and i and i actually would not argue that the government needs to be destroyed but what bothers me is that how many people are left behind all the vulnerable that yeah. if, if if you have a child that's developmentally disabled you sure as hell better have steady income because if you don't that person's on the streets dead yeah. stop that's how it rolls yeah. and so you can point fingers all day but man i grew up in a pretty small town i grew up pretty poor and there's no backup plan you don't get to sit on your ass and complain about it on the internet like in our case you know we had two house fires when I was a kid. So there were times when I had to pull crawfish out of the Columbia River so my brothers and I had protein, right? So I don't have, this is not like an abstract thing for me. I can live pretty poor. And I, and I, and I come from, you know, people that work the soil and all that. So, you know, you got to get in the trenches. And so in this case, um, uh, what we're delivering is um, uh, something that allows the community to manage its own affairs. And the genesis of this actually goes all the way back actually to Burnside and before, but there is a line of continuity there. When you're doing skatepark advocacy, the, ultimately the real issue is how are we going to get the funds for it? How are we going to build a skate park? Sure. We know it's going to cost $700,000 and you can't spend seven years groveling for it. In the yeah. public skate park development guide, the book that we did back in the, you know, almost 20 years ago, I wrote, I wrote the chapter on fundraising because actually people don't read a book from the beginning to the end. They're going to start at fundraising because they think that's the answer. Sure. It's actually not. No, I agree. I, but I had tried to figure out how to solve this problem for years. I got into um, uh, doing hacktivism, uh, uh, the Occupy stuff, the whole deal. Ultimately, money's a problem. There's a political science maxim that says, he who mints the coin writes the rules. Money becomes a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. So so we really started working on that. And in and, and 2017, I was the chief technology officer for a company called BitNation, 
which was working to deliver um, uh, governance for stateless people, refugees, et cetera. And I got to design a microeconomy, which actually was that that was the breakthrough, like, okay, a microeconomy, I can do this. Um, their approach was um, using a, a crypto model, which is not one that I really agree with. But anyway, they became insolvent. So my former software engineering team left, we created 214 Alpha. And from there, we actually built a microeconomy. And the long and the short of it, the way it works is that you just introduce an exclusive marketplace and you um, encourage people to stop using Amazon and eBay. And then what we do is that we only keep 1% of the transaction fees. Uh, the, the community keeps the rest and it becomes a, a basis for a neighborhood going into business with itself. And the economics are extraordinary. Um, so, you know, if there's about a thousand people in the community and they end up generating about $6,100 a month in, um, in revenue, uh, and, uh, and that's revenue they keep themselves. Um, if they introduce regenerative practices, that turns into twelve dollars or $18,000, and that's money they keep. That actually becomes a basis of, of, um, of, uh, of uh, becomes a basis of um, self-governance. So, um, uh, so this is the thing, is it's a private label thing, and that allows us to actually work in collaboration with the communities themselves. So um, uh, anyway, that's, that's the, you know, I, I could elaborate considerably, but I just you know gave you a distillation of well, thirty yeah, something I, I, I years. Was you know, reading it myself. Uh, what I like about it is the fact that you're trying to help communities help themselves. Yeah, uh, that you're trying to get them to think for themselves and realize. Because I think one of the saddest things is uh, how blind humans have become to uh, economic plight or even understanding what's going on with the economy. How, how people don't even realize sales tax dollar spent in your own city comes back to your city spent in a different city doesn't and so on and so forth you know what i mean when they're right. when they're buying things people well, don't even realize that like why does our well, city they, have money you know they get well they don't they don't actually realize that if you're using amazon marketplace it ultimately levies an 18.3 percent surcharge it's 15 percent to use amazon marketplace and it's about three point something percent to use uh, visa yeah. So, you know, this adds, adds up and people don't realize it. This is, there's a phenomenon called fiscal leakage, which is why basically small town America is poor. Like a generation ago, there was, um, you know, uh, 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 there was um, um, uh, consignment shops where people are selling um, uh, things to one another. And um, I've got a, someone holding the door, uh, note saying. The following portion of Believe in Skateboarding has been edited for your safety. We apologize for any inconvenience it has caused. We shall return now. Hey, um, uh, that's interesting, but I shouldn't be surprised. You know, he who mints the coin writes the rules. And when you, uh, you know, when you introduce the basis of self-governance, then um, this is a bizarre time. Well, yeah, that is bizarre. Would you like to go <laughs> It's really bizarre. But anyway, the thing is what we learned about skateboard advocacy is, um, is you have to make them feel comfortable with what they're doing. You've got to make them feel uh, like they take credit for the things they've done, which is, you know, when we built this, the public skate park development guide, they, um, you know, they had an opportunity to become the hero. They had a chance to. Uh, it's against their policy to record interviews. Censored for your continued safety. Okay. Do you have a minute? Do I send them away? What would you like me to do? I'm well, so sorry. Uh, well, Jim, we're kind of in the middle of this, but I'm, I feel like I have to stop this and maybe we can come back at another time, but um, yeah, I got to go. Apparently, I, I can't mom. He is handsome. Anyway, um, I just want to talk real quick. We got seven functions that are built in. I'm going to talk. This might be my last chance. One of them is banking. We give the community an opportunity to um, 
to, uh, to basically do their own community loans. And we do that so we can get rid of the predatory practices of payday loans. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and again, it's like a private label thing, so they can put their own name on it, et cetera. So um, this is really bizarre, and I apologize for this. Yeah, anyway, no, I got I to gotta run. Better go find out what it is. I, I won't go anywhere. I'll be around. Okay, I'll just uh, send you a message. Send me a text. Yeah, go uh, go deal with it and uh, hit me back when you're done. All right, cheers. Okay, see you, bud. Well, that was different. Kent obviously had some stuff come up while we were doing our podcast, so we kind of ended abruptly and we continued back the next day. So if you're wondering why there was a little bit of a, I don't know, lack of continuity, well, it's both because we probably can't think straight two days in a row, but also because it was done on two different days. So welcome to part two. I just started recording. I just started recording because we were just, you know, shooting the shit over coffee and we're laughing about Jim. <laughs> Jim talk, talking to himself, a running commentary. It's like Jacques Cousteau giving himself a, t- a tour of the skate park while he's skating it. Nobody else can hear it but him. Oh my fucking God, it's the funniest shit. <laughs> I people used to tease me when I was like 14. I'd be at the skate park and I'd be making noises. I'd be like, <laughs> you know, like I just make noise. I've always been a big mouth. That's why I honestly what I like is that you're you're a bigger mouth than I am. And it's great oh. to have a podcast where someone else talks because my oh. big problem is I over talk everybody and I interrupt and I get all excited and I have a thought and I blurt it out. What is that? Yeah. The plane. Sorry, what? The plane going by? No, I uh, I switched to the uh, from the headset to the. Uh, oh, okay, it sounded like a freaking just flew over or something. No, sorry about that. Well, so um, yeah, I mean that's that's that is a problem for me. I, I run in what's called verbose mode. If you're a computer science person, I can run pretty. And so, you know, another reason I like to hire. Uh, we were just talking about why I hire uh, older women is that they um, and people who are not technical. I mean, they not only can they build trust capital in the communities, it's just something. I mean, this is kind of going back, Jim, you know, you and I both worked in on these projects in our respective communities to actually get a skate park, which is, you know, you learn in a hurry. You can't just build a committee of just skaters. You're going to have to invite, um, you know, moms and, you know, the risk, uh, the, the risk manager for the city and the cop. And, you know, because Absolutely. It's, the yeah, if you don't have city councils and cops and, you know, park people and you know, <clears> there's <throat> not people believing in you, you you're up against a freaking, you know, well, well, wall. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I know it's convenient to consider that, you know, it's, it's convenient to think that you're going to be able to affect change in the community by excluding everybody else that makes you uncomfortable. But that's just not reality. And, and I, I, I find it hilarious that people will fold their arms and look at me like I'm the naive one, uh, even though they've never actually done a project. I mean, I yeah. actually got involved in this political campaign here in Austin. And, and the guy who uh, I was I was on the board of the um, of the of the um, of the nonprofit uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know, let's let's do something about the homeless. It turns out that's not what they wanted to do. They really just don't want the homeless, which is a bizarre proposition, right? Like, you, you can't really, you just can't clear the city of the homeless. I mean, I know exactly. They don't they don't they, go they, away. They're actually literal people, you know. Yeah, and they're a, a sizable chunk of them are veterans. Of, you know, in all due respect, which I love that expression. By the way, all due respect literally means I have no respect. <laughs> 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 the British are subtle and savage in their respect. You're not doing any respect whatsoever, but I'm giving all that you were doing. <laughs> the emphasis is on the word new. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> so uh, so what it was is that I, I got I got vetoed by a guy who's literally never been done a political campaign his entire life, and his supposition was, uh, no, you're wrong. Uh, we're going to be able to do this, and we don't need to work with anybody, um, which is which is ridiculous, right? Like uh, you know, civil civil uh, civic affairs and and advocacy is is this wisdom this this stuff has been around for millennia and yeah this is like a new thing you're gonna have negotiation yeah and it's it's a lot of people it's not a no one gets to be fucking anarchy and step into the city and take over it doesn't work you know it it, it doesn't it doesn't work because the um uh what people don't realize is that most people an overwhelming majority of people are fundamentally conservative they don't want a complete elimination of an institution because it would result in chaos and frankly yeah. there's so much chaos now nobody wants more chaos so even yeah, people who can even people who consider themselves liberals are holding on to the institution as the most ardent conservatives because there's just no more chaos please no more chaos so to say that you're going to be able to go in there and do it and we don't need the cops is a little bit naive right and so here's the thing is that like it doesn't take much to try to bridge that gap because the cops um and this is not just in the current contemporary era but this is something i experienced in the 80s is like um you know, like we, okay, when we're working on Burnside, so we were going down there at night and we're pouring bags of concrete because we're, we're doing bag by bag at a time, right? <laughs> this is not like we had a concrete truck and we just worked the whole day, like Red and I, uh, you know, we worked at the lumber place and then, um, you know, we would do a decent job of breaking concrete bags and we'd, you know, get to buy them a buck a bag and then we'd load about twice or three times as many into my Dodge Dart and then I'd spend the night down there, we'd be building and there'd be Brett and Osage and whatever. So, and then we were keeping, it's a, it was a pretty crummy area. That was one of the things we learned is that choose an area that is really, really shitty. It's all about context, right? Um, if you create an area, if you find an area that's really, really bad and you become a better neighbor, the neighbors that are already there are going to look out for you. And so that was something that people don't really realize that the, the you persona, have to the neighborhood. Yeah. You, yeah, you have to be a statesman in this regard. So we cleaned up trash. We ran out people that were um, trafficking drugs uh, into downtown. We got shot at a lot, um, which is, you know, it's a good thing. It's a concrete skate park because, you know, <laughs> you better be a good shot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, and um, <clears throat> you know, there was just, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff going on and it was dirty. You know, there, there was a, um, uh, a homeless uh, kitchen above called Bloney Joe's and the building was completely empty next door. So there was no windows in there. So people would defecate and urinate in the water. Of course, it rains all the time. So it washes down. It's actually pretty dystopian. It sounds like, but of course it was this great experience for us. And I don't know if you've heard the expression protopia. Protopia is distinguished from utopia and that things get incrementally better at, at, just a little bit at a time, which is a far better thing to rally around because you sense the progress, even though it's complete shit, literally, it just got better a little at a time. So here we're at night, we're doing this concrete stuff and we got an ear for cops because if you're a skater that's how you roll right you just know that those cars sound like so we just scram and then there's this cop john larkin and uh and he and he you know he's like shit this is his beat and it was a pretty dirty area but he recognized that we were improving the context he talked to the neighbors learned that we were improving the context and we were like ghosts man he didn't know where we went so he started leaving us cups of coffee we'd come back and be a cup of coffee and i'm like god damn it i think that cop just left us a cup of coffee right <laughs> and so you know from there he's the one that kind of made that thing and we started talking to him and you know and he 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 He'd acknowledge, this is a cool thing, it's all about context. He acknowledged that what we were doing is technically illegal, but shit, we're sure making his job easier, you know? Yeah. So, um, so you know, and we did the same thing with uh, Joanne Ferrero, who's the, the, the was um, on the board of the Central East Side Industrial Council. <clears throat> um, you know, somebody, uh, uh, um, basically these guys that were funneling drugs into downtown, they started um, a fire on her loading dock, which is made of wood, and we put that out, and uh, I think that was that really led that one and anyway long story short um by the time the city had the wherewithal to um 
it takes a while for the city to respond, but, and, and especially if you build out of concrete, by the way. Uh, so if people build out of wood, they can just tear that shit out. We learned that in a hurry. But if concrete makes it a little bit more difficult. So by the time they had the wherewithal to get the resources to get that stuff out of there, we had built, a, 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 a con- we had consolidated a political uh, collaboration that was irresistible. We had moms, we had neighborhood association, business community, and law enforcement. And so what completely blindsided the city, didn't blindside entirely, because we also had an inroad with the city. See, we, we smoked weed with the mayor's kid, uh, Nick, um, Nick Clark, and, and his dad was actually a pretty cool guy. So it's not like we had a complete, uh, uh, didn't completely blind. Side, right. And so when the city decided they were going to get bulldozers and tear it out, what they ended up getting was this irresistible political coalition, which included law enforcement, which you got to do, actually, like, like it or yeah. not, you're going to need to do that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, like, you know, suddenly we're, you know, licking the boot of fascism. It has to do with pragmatism. Right. Uh, so the um, that's actually what allowed us to get, you know, resolution 1179, which formalized the community policing agreement. Uh, which basically says that we're going to work together on this thing. And so that's allowed the city to say, okay, the parks and recreation will um, pay for the trash and the, and the sanitation and the skaters will take care of the maintenance and blah, blah, blah. So it'll be 30 years, whatever. And that's the template of how these things, uh, how I pursued these things in the years since. So. Well, I mean, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I mean, uh, Burnside is, I mean, I'm, you know, I was very stoked the first time I got to skate it just to experience uh, what you guys built there. It was incredible. Uh, but I definitely learned the most uh, important thing I probably learned as I battled with my own local city, Costa Mesa here to get a skate park, um, is that you de- you definitely have to work with people. We we stepped in when they were just in the process of doing what they called the recreation master plan. They were doing a new master plan. So we had to go to like fucking 10 master plan meetings all around the city. And as I was um, gathering skaters, building a coalition with Paul Schmidt, and Marty Jimenez and a local shop here. And we we're, you know, putting flyers out for parents to see. And we started a website, we printed stickers, all sorts of things. I mean, like, and, uh, and we got people to show up to the meeting. So we'd show up to these recreation master plan meetings and we would come with like fucking 90 people. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, uh, and then there was one guy from UISO soccer and one guy from, you know, Pop Warner football and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and at first I think they probably thought, oh, Jesus, the rebels are going to come here and stir everything up. But man, they made us go park by park. What's needed at this park and the skaters. It was awesome to see little 14 year old skaters. They wanted their skate park so bad. They were willing to say to, to forget about just knowing the end goal. Cause we had to keep reminding them the end goal is to get this skate park, but you have to be part of your community now you need to be a little civic here and participate and they did they wrote down this park needs the water fountains fixed this park needs you know the the, the whatever the uh, snack shop painted you know whatever this park has this good this park has, i mean the kids actually participated in everything in their community you know yeah. but of course they also wrote what does this park need number one at every single one of them was a place to skate a skate right. a skate spot or whatever you know so in the end the, the whole thing was littered with skateboarding stuff, but it was also with skateboarders participating in everything it took. Every, t- talking about the grass, the you know, it's like, and it was really awesome to see that the that watching a, a group of kids realize they had to participate to get what they wanted. And it took a long time because it yeah. took a um, year and a half, whatever, to get that recreation recreation master plan done. And then through the stuff that was, was finally coming out, there was some statistics on 
skateboarding and the number of skateboarders and so on and so forth. We were giving them some of that data. So when this plan actually came out, it was very clear they said the number one need in the city was a skate park. And now yeah. it was in writing. It was in an official book, the Recreation Master Plan, you know? Yeah. And, uh, no, and that was kick-ass work, actually. That was a really good work. And it was a great example of Jim Gray, the statesman, right? Because it's totally you and your element. It's like kind of a version of you, like, <laughs> I kind of love watching it, by the way, because it's like, it's a version of you riding through the park, giving yourself a, a, a verbal tour of the park, right? Because like, for you, there's no, there's no divisions. It's all, I mean, you're one of those guys that like, everybody's your friend. They just don't realize it yet. You know what I mean? And so you're like, <laughs> and my, and my kid's the same way, by the way, I had this great experience. My boy's walking through the park and he goes up to these two surly teens and he tells them about some kid that only, a thing that only like a six-year-old cares about. And they pull him off and he looks at me with this look like, how is it they don't understand? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like those guys are my friend. Like you're totally that guy. So it ends up being like really perfect. And what's really encouraging about that is that you like, like this is actually something I see among skateboarders, and I really, really dig that. Is it like, um, you know, <laughs> maybe it's just an entire childhood of uh, of striking up ad, ad hoc collaborations and conversations with complete. I mean, with no other basis of. Of, um, uh, of similarity than you're on a skateboard too. Oh my God, we're like family, right? Like, well, hey. How I, rad is that, that we got yeah. that experience? We benefited right. from that so much as humans. Right, yeah. No, I mean, I remember walking through an airport and I'd see uh, the, the uh, side of someone's shoes uh, a little bit worn down and I knew they rode a uh, goofy foot and I knew that they favored all these and I could tell that the way they kicked and stuff like that you could read it it was like being an anthropologist you know and then uh, you know uh, uh, you know an arched eyebrow here and a few words there next thing you know we're sharing information about a pool right <laughs> like god damn I loved it you know what I mean so In the 80s a Tony Hawk haircut uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's so, the Dorothy Hamill and there was the Tony Hawk um. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's what I love about this is that I almost get the impression that nobody was as surprised as Tony. That <laughs> and he is like, he doesn't want to fess up to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I can just imagine him in bed being like, how did that happen? Because <laughs> honestly, I've known Tony since he's like, 10 years old he just was a kid he was happy skateboarding <laughs> i know he's totally that dude he's like the gotta be the nicest goddamn dude <laughs> it's like the thing about being with the, the tony hawk foundation is he does all these things and he doesn't want any recognition for it he just does he's like a dude who does cool shit and that's just his thing you know what i mean it's like <laughs> well you know i mean it's funny you talk about video games earlier my son showed me the new tony hawk pro skater game you know and i'm mm -hmm. like great he's gonna make millions more and it's awesome that he that he throws some of it back and then he's cool yeah. I mean, I'm what how cool would that Ken? if we had millions of dollars, we could go, let's let's recreate this skate spot from 30 years ago. You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then we also had enough power to not even have to pay for it. We just call Sony or something and they like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah we'll give you $80,000 to build that, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, so Tony's been put in an amazing spot. The one thing I keep needing to tell him he needs to rebuild is the turning point ramp. Uh, the big hill. Yeah. The big, Plexiglass pill. Come on, Tony. You've built everything else. You've done the loop. <laughs> Build the fucking turning point ramp. <laughs> well, we've taken, so it's been cool because I, I, you know, I surround myself because, you know, I, I own a company that is self-governance. I've staffed a bunch of like basically uh, people who are older, like I was telling you, Trudy works for me. She designs a product. She's like 63. She has no basis of none of this. She has no knowledge of this. And, uh, and so what I end up doing is telling her like, Tony, I basically paid for the for the printing of this book that you're holding right now, because I have a printed copy of the yeah. public skate park development guide. Uh, and then he, he did the forward on it. And you know, when we had our first annual summit, he showed up and man, my advocates, I told you that my most ardent advocates are guys that wear full pads on a four foot mini, right? Yeah. So to have Tony Ka come up and he, and he, and he, 
Tony comes up and he shakes their hand. He flies into Haley, Idaho, right? That's how he rolls. <laughs> but the rest of us drove like paupers, right? He flies in and then he shakes their hand and he, and he, and he, and he gives them props for, for, for the things that they're doing and all that. Jesus, dude, it like lit a fire. And Elizabeth Rocket, I actually really like Elizabeth. She was living in Squim, Washington at the time. And uh, she's a teenage girl. And she got my attention because she called the city out for a misappropriation of public funds, which is like an atom bomb in the local media, you know? So we invite her and she's there and Tony gives her star power. And man, it just lit a fire under them. These advocates, like skate park nerds, man, you couldn't shut them down because then they go back to their community and they're just rallied. And, and Tony knows that, that uh, the power of that, that's something that, that's a great example of soft capital that transcends, you know, sending money. And he'll, you know, sign some boards and stuff like that. But Jesus, that really lit the organization up. Well, you're and, right. Uh, money isn't his value bringing in. His, his value is his name, is his credibility. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he and he gave people recognition for uh, and within my organization, he gave them recognition for the for the hard work they were doing and their creativity. And then that really that really inspired people. Uh, uh, it's funny. I got Sage Boyer calling me. It's great timing, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Sage. So. Um, uh, so anyway, that was really cool. And uh, so it's cool to talk about that with them, um, um, you know, Trudy and the others in my organization, because when we work with the community to help them introduce self-governance, what we're doing is finding those pockets of, of trust uh, capital, uh, which is, you know, like um, it's, it's something that may not be, it would be the sort of thing you would overlook if you didn't know where to look. But skaters know this, like the guy with the junkyard in his front yard actually has significant trust capital in that neighborhood. He knows everything that's going on there. He's also probably the master mechanic there and he's going to help you with your dishwasher. And, uh, and, 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 and he's like, he's, you know, it, it looks like he's got a junkyard in his yard, but it's basically, that's his domain, man. And like, if you treat him with dignity and respect, man, you, it, it's amazing the, 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 the insights you get into the neighborhood and the, and the five or six guys that sit on the curb drinking, uh, and just hanging out. That's actually a community center. If you acknowledge it as such, yeah, they I see think, everything. Uh, a lot <clears> of people have a hard time with that. For some reason, I think I always saw that. And that is that you can't change who people are. You know what I mean? They're, I have three kids and now they're in their 20s and I've watched right. them. You know, if I look at a video of them when they're two and three, they're mm -hmm. the exact same kids as they are now. They right. just learned things along the way and morphed right. into things and look change, their looks change really that. But the reality is their personalities are built in them. The reason that guy has a junkyard in his front yard, dude, that was wired in his head from the day he was born. That's you know right. what I mean? It's like it yeah. just accumulated into this thing. And there's probably 10 other guys like him that maybe never got the junkyard in their front yard, but they, that was the way they wanted it. You know what I mean? It just didn't right. all fall into place. But right. all of those people, I just tried to look at, you choose who you spend your personal time with, right? Mm -hmm. Like who you hang out with on a Saturday night and have a drink and dinner with, whatever that. But same point through your week, everyone you run into, you, you also choose who you talk to, who you learn from. To me, everybody has an interesting story. Yeah, you know we'll, I mean? we'll check this. Well, I mean, and I love actually, so the, I'm really loving Austin for, for a lot of reasons, but I, on Juneteenth, which is, you know, uh, you know, when the news finally arrived that slavery had been made illegal, that, that's actually a real big deal in Texas. So I went out on my bicycle and it's hot, Texas hot. And, uh, and, there, uh, <clears throat> and what I end up encountering is, you know, uh, uh, no small number of, uh, of folks on horses, just hauling ass through the streets on horses. Yeah. Uh, come into a quick stop and sparks behind them and it's just the whole east side is on a party and they shut down entire streets there's cars parked and people are out <clears throat> and this <clears throat> this is the depth of a, of a neighborhood and a community you know the type of things that we're talking about guys on the corner that is a multi-generational depth and that is a that is a wealth that you that transcends the value of the dollar and so you know if you're looking for solutions that's a vibrancy it's a vibrancy that you cannot replicate elsewhere so you know the the, the thing that we that really drives us is 
to help communities reclaim their dignity on their terms, which literally means they do it. We're not the ones that do it. We, we, we come in there and help them do it on their terms, but they're the ones that do it. So they get the credit. So that was the other thing that I, I like talking about the Tony thing. He didn't come in and take the credit for it. He comes in, shines a light, you know, squirts some oxygen into the fire, so to speak, but they're the ones that get the credit. And that actually magnifies the benefit. Right, he doesn't try to lord uh, all the all the all the credit for it. That yeah, allows Elizabeth some anyways because right. he who he is, it <clears throat> automatically shines. Right, right. So. Well, so this is the thing. Like I tell my boys, you know, like uh, uh, the thing about a fire is that the, and you add more wood to the fire, it doesn't make less fire; it makes more. <laughs> right. So that's the thing. Like Tony's thing is, I think essentially, like you know, at the Tony at the what is it called the Hawks nest or whatever that the eagles thing um, i can't remember what they call it or the ramp every yeah. spare minute that guy's signing boards <laughs> people don't know that right every spare minute he's signing things because he knows that people get that and that just drives them right so and he's not the only one within skateboarding that's got that vibe of course there's you know others who decided they were going to take the old world approach and be savage to each other but man that's you know uh, uh there are so many great examples of people who just shine a light on others so so they can so they can shine and and and, and magnify it to el to others right i really love it um, and it's such a great positive story and, 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 and you know that and it's not even contrived. It's actually totally true, right? Like the, the media monetizes trauma and suffering and, and, and all that, but there's really no reason for that. If you look right in the community itself, there's plenty of reasons to have um, uh, to have a lot of faith that things are going to be okay because ultimately yeah. the neighbors are yeah. so deep. Yeah. Unfortunately, shock shock sells more than <clears throat> right than than beauty. I, I'd go around the neighborhood. I take pictures of flowers. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, not trash. Right? right. I mean, like, I mean, because I see the trash, but trash doesn't like get <clears throat> me cooked. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, right. a beautiful flower with all that was created from it's like, wow, that's gorgeous. You know, it's like, um, and I think that's just, uh, I don't know. Yep. I mean, no, it's good. Actually, this, my friend Ruth says the flower doesn't bloom for you. You just happen to be there for the event. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Well, so, so, um, so I, uh, I spent a lot of time with the homeless in Portland uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago, and I learned that there are significant examples of non-monetary capital. That really interests me because I actually have a significant background managing capital infrastructure. Actually, I did security for a lot of years. So I would, um, um, you know, I worked in, you know, for a company Tripwire, I worked for Tenable. Uh, I worked uh, at a company called Iovation that analyzed every single Amazon transaction, every Citibank transaction. It's literally billions of transactions. So if you've done, if you've done um, transactions in the modern world, it's been protected by infrastructure I either managed or I helped design. And that's not an idle statement. So I have a, a significant background in capital right but but when you realize the forms of non-monetary capital that blows your goddamn mind it's really amazing actually and it paints an entirely different picture so <clears throat> when i set out to design a self-governance um product the first thing i got to come up with is how to solve the problem of you know he who mints the coin writes the rules and if you if i constrain it to forms of hard capital, then I, then I am stuck within the same old mindset that there's not enough money. But that's not true. There's so much goddamn money. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. You just have to change what this looks like. So um, so what, we, what we've created is a, is, a, is a platform that allows us to recognize forms of non-monetary capital. And I can give you an example. Um, um, you know, we have a built-in reputation system that gives people a, a, something like a trust score, uh, but it also literally pays them in a community currency. And so, um, so if let's say that there's a woman uh, and she just happens to be great at 
at um, uh, arbitration, just uh, addressing neighborhood disputes. Um, uh, we actually have arbitration built into our product, so that's how arbitration would happen in the neighborhood, which would be a, a foundation of community policing. You're actually tapping into the trust capital of the community. She does a better job than probably anybody. People trust her decisions. They trust her counsel. She gets a, 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 a trust score, and she can leverage that trust score with a community bank as collateral to get a loan, which helps us remove our dependency on payday loans, right? But the other thing is that she actually actually earns a form of, of community currency. And the reason is, is it actually have created a, uh, um, um, what we call the selvage, um, uh, 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 we call it the selvage, this is what it's called anyway. And what it is, is that if you can innovate ways to reduce the rates of arbitration, we pay you for the difference because it optimizes our system. So actually algorithmically it works. It's actually an expression of uh, elasticity in terms of algorithms. You don't need to know that. But the point is, is that we put a lot of work into how you can actually monetize forms of non-monetary capital, right? It's pretty fascinating. And, uh, and do so in a completely legal manner. The other one is called WEFT. If you can elevate the reputation and trust of others, likewise, you're actually paid. So that actually creates a basis for or, uh, uh, you know, blessed are the, uh, the meek, the, those who take care of them, right? Uh, Selvages, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. So, you know, this ends up being really fascinating. It completely changes the economics on this thing. And, uh, and I'm not, you know, introducing a model that does some sort of like, you know, whiz bang ICO. I'm not trying to go public. This is actually neighborhood specific uh, um, uh, economics. Like this is literally our focus is, you know, hyper local economies. Already. Yeah, and that's the crazy it's shit when you tell people. We already know there's someone in the neighborhood that helps yes. moderate a dispute. Was there someone in the yeah. neighborhood who helps, you know, set the kids straight? You know, there's someone, you know, uh, yeah, and here's the, to help you if you need it. And here's the thing. The problem with technology is that we're all trying to be the next Bill Gates or whatever or Jeff Bezos, but that's definitely not my motivation. I'm all about enough, right? Like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm a big fan of, like, a dollar can of, of, of corned beef and hash, and then I walk around, and I'm, like, super happy with gas station coffee. And I've earned a ton of money in my career, but that doesn't buy you loyalty, and it doesn't buy you uh, security, right? And yeah. so, um, so I actually have an organizational uh, philosophy of enoughness. And when you adopt that, it actually changes the economics within this, the, the, uh, the company, is that we only keep a, a percentage of the transaction action fee. And sure, that actually right. goes yeah, towards yeah. helping the community grow and diversify because now we have a shared best interest. But, but, but the, the rest of it goes to the community. So now they can actually fund their self-governance. And so what I love about this, Jim, is, is that I tell people, I'll tell you how to become a competitor. I'll even help you write the software. In fact, I'll show you how to get the software. And in order to compete with me, you have to provide better customer service and give more money back to the community. <laughs> I goddamn well, love you it. Know, it's <laughs> Um, you know, in, in you know, our, our, our connection is skateboarding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the skateboarding community, people would be blown away that, like, everybody who got everything from everybody else, let's put it this way, Paul Schmidt wouldn't be anything in skateboard manufacturing if Brad Dorfman didn't hire him and let him run his wood shop. Right, right? Right. And he builds his capital, so on and so forth. But then he goes out and does his thing. So, for instance, I remember, like, Greg Chapman opened Chapman Manufacturing back east, came to a trade show. I walked over to him and introduced myself and said, right. hi. And right. just like, hey, welcome. Nice to see you, blah, blah, blah. And right. they tell me years later, you're the only one who everyone else just walked by and looked at me. Like, mm -hmm. oh, why? I mean, why? You know, or people would like, people call me, where do you get glue or where do you get? Well, dude, when I go pick up my glue and there's a tote of glue for PS sticks, for, you know, every other fucking wood shop known to mankind, clear wood, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's using the same fucking glue. Like, right. why am I not going to tell some kid who's making boards in his garage where he can get glue? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and people, most people in the skateboard industry wouldn't tell him. They figure like, you had to earn it the way we did. You had to like steal the info or espionage. And I'm like, no, I just asked myself. You know what I mean? I, I didn't have a hard time getting it. Right, I was friendly right. to people. And, you know, I'd call Charlie Watson at Watson and talk about stuff. And, 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And, but I mean, it's like, it was just really interesting how many people would not share, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when kids started skateboard companies, I'm more than happy to tell them the, the positives and the negatives, the things to be careful of, so on and so forth, because I don't want them to have to go through the same shit I had to learn the hard way, right. you know? And honestly, if they're going to be successful, it's because they're good and they have talent. That Why should I just like, oh, it's just going to take them a year longer because I'm going to make them go through all the, the hoops and hit their freaking head on the wall a hundred right. before they figure it out. I just tell them because uh, I guess I've never felt the, the fear of competition. You know, competition exists. It just is what it is, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I love the fact that you would encourage someone to compete if it's better for the the world around you and well, so, so so far that's not what they've done because they consider me a fool because they consider the only measure of success is how rich but you can become I so they, that. so what they end up doing what they end up doing is shooting themselves in the face because they end up creating another expression of an extractive economic force they end up looking like colonializers to the people of the neighborhood that's literally what they look like they say well you know actually i can just come in and say you know the the real difference here is that we're you get to keep basically all but 1% of the transaction fees. And what we do with the fees is we help you uh, grow and diversify your economy because now we have a shared interest in doing so. And, uh, and further, we're going to hire from within your community. So the people doing it are your people and you get the credit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they're like, okay, Jesus. <laughs> well, you, you, think you can share some, everything you know with somebody, but if they don't think like you, they're not going to implement it the same. Right. That's, Again, right. that's where I've never been afraid of competition. Let them be who they are. They, they no one can be me, mm-hmm. right? I'm just me. No one can be you. You were born you. I love the fact that the mold was broken when you fell out. Okay, I do. It's great. <laughs> it, it, makes you, it makes you awesome. I'm glad that my mold shattered and I fell out too. You know, so. <laughs> well, you know, so I remember uh, we did the. Um, the skate park uh, in Portland, right? And then the city built one, which was a catastrophe. The first one, it was like 18 inches thick concrete. It's what happens when the institution tries it the first time. It's garbage, but whatever. It was like they had the, the, um, they had the, the, um, uh, what are those guys? The, uh, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, they're the ones that actually built, you know, because yeah. the city, the city's doing it with the instrumentation that they have, which is the original policies and procedures of an institution yeah. that wasn't ready to build a park. And they did, but it was awful. And the, 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 the Corps of Engineers only really in the Northwest only really know how to do things like build dams on the Columbia River. So, of course, they built a skate park with 18 inches of concrete. Which, yeah. you know, but anyway, so, you know, you, you, you have to introduce things that are kind of a early prototype that are a little early dirty dirty and you use it to you know um, evolve the organization and the institution and so likewise that's how we did with Portland is at first you know their first park was total shit it was actually at Pier Park that existing Pier Park skate park is at uh, is where the old one was uh, we did Burnside we pushed it a little bit further and then we worked in um, the suburbs because they're faster and more nimble and they can do things that, that are higher risk. And that actually gave us a portfolio of prototypes that allowed the city to kind of evaluate things because it takes a while for a city to do stuff. And yeah. so we, we, we got approval for a half million dollars and, uh, and, and an agreement to build a, c- a committee so we could do two skate parks. We went off and created a committee that actually had a variety of people on there, including cops and all that other. And then we actually came back and we proposed a plan of 19 skate parks. Yeah. Uh, and so it was approved. Was and that that's part actually, of the, the Skaters for Portland skate parks? That, that was actually skaters, skaters for Portland and Skaters for Public. But yeah. a lot of that was really driven by Tom Miller with Skaters yeah. for Portland skate parks. I love Tom Miller. Yeah. And, you know, so he's a really good example of someone got within the institution itself. He was actually the chief of staff for a commissioner. Then he was the chief of staff for the mayor. So, you know, uh, he's actually covered, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. And so, you know, um, it's, a, it's a good story of, you know, a, a basically an Arizona skater kid that just <laughs> refuses 
to quit, right? So you know, um, so yeah, the, the, you know, some people are like, wow, the audacity. You guys recommended 19 skate parks. I'm like, well, dude, there's like 193 ball fields, right? Like, yeah. Jesus. No, 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 the and, system. I remember the first time seeing it. I thought it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, and then, and then likewise, you know, we had this insight about like, you know, why push for skate parks when, when a lot of kids are really just looking for skate spots, right? Like yeah. if you look at kids are going from one set of stairs to the next, and that's about a 1,500 square foot thing. So, you know, you can build a skate spot. You can do these things in, in phases. You can do them in increments. You don't have to build them all at once. So yeah. that actually has a real pragmatic benefit. Like these guys out of Lake Lakeview, I think it's like you um, it's a suburb of Cleveland if I remember correctly and they needed to expedite a um fundraising for their skate park so they did the first phase was basically a bump you know it's really nothing more spent a few thousand bucks on it but then of course there's 200 kids there because that's how kids are and they got the cameras on them and then they said this is why we need more places for kids to skate because otherwise they're just going to be in the streets and it accelerated fundraising so they could build their second phase and that's actually something i learned in the private industry you build early dirty you leverage the success you actually can do um concept validation in a low-cost manner you can accelerate fundraising all that other stuff so um, um, you know, I mean, this stuff works and, and, and actually, you know, uh, no surprise, we know how to introduce, you know, here it's the year 2020, we know how to introduce um, uh, hyper-local governance using a prototype that's in phases, uh, that's, that's an early dirty approach that delivers a, a, a prototype that the city can adopt at a later time. I mean, <laughs> because we did it as gameplay a generation ago. I love the fact that um, obviously our world's in, there's a lot of chaos going on. Mm -hmm governmentally, socially, you know, um, there's, there's need for change. We, right. we, I love the fact that s skateboarders uh, are at the forefront of trying to help the, the foundation of that become no, what it's going to be. And in the end, no one will probably know it was skateboarders, right? No, no. well, so that's the, that's the cool thing. It's all about attribution, right? I mean, the thing is, I'm not going there and spray painting my name all over. If we do this right, they don't know the tattooed white guy that's over on the corner is, yeah. it, is the guy behind there because that's not the, how you do it. I mean, think about how many times you skate pools. You leave, you leave nothing but aluminum and you take nothing but photos and memories, right? So, you know, you get in, you get out, and that's it. And you're like a ghost. And the neighbor, you know, is like, why is there 60,000? gallons of water in my yard I'm like I don't know it must be an anomaly uh, but you know <laughs> but you know that's that's how you do it and uh, uh, and you know and, and, and no surprise this is that's exactly the type of thing that really led to me being involved in anonymous because if you do it right you're not the guy with the mask you're the nobody you're the absolute nobody right you're, you're doing it in a way that is um, you know I mean really just dig into what the word anonymous actually means you know so you know so this is the cool thing about this is that we actually are really well suited you know so one of the advisors for my company is former mayor Sam Adams who actually advises people on on governance and um, you know that's a cool that's a cool turnaround and and um, uh, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it you know the people uh, there's a, a, a Kate Martin um, uh, in Seattle she actually she 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 actually has 12 people living in her home she lives in um, uh, uh, Ballard which is this beautiful sort of Scandinavian community and she's takes she's so she's so about practicing what she preaches. She built a skate park in her front yard. She's like a landscape architect, but built it with a skate park in her front yard. And she and Scott Shin are like so into the cause that they like they're willing, like she's got 12 people living in her home and, uh, and man, she's gritting her teeth through just exactly. She's so frustrated with the, the failure of governance. She's the type of person that's gonna change the world. You know what I'm saying? And then if we do this right, we help her become successful. And nobody needs to know there's skaters behind the scenes, you know, filling people's coffee cups and cleaning up after. Jesus, it's, you know, like, let's just do the work. You know, it's all about the glory. But if she gets the credit, dude, you can't shut this thing down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, 
<clears throat> yeah, I'm digging it. Crazy. I mean, I mean, it's uh, like I said, you can't you you can't get or expect credit for everything because what does that do? It doesn't really, you know, just knowing you got something done is feels good. You yeah, know, and you get uh, and you get just enough credit among the right people. I mean, this do, is, yeah, and every I mean, every once in a while, I mean, it's just whatever. I could be at a grocery store and I'll run into some kid who'll just you know randomly and you know just come up and go, dude, hey, you know, I've been riding that skate park for you know twelve years since it was born, and I just want to thank you for all the work you did. You know, it's just yeah, something yeah. parent. You're like, oh, cool. It's nice that somebody knows, but no, also. My biggest thing is driving down the freeway and looking off the side of the road every time I drive on the way home and see the skate park full of kids and go, uh, if I died tomorrow, I did something that thousands of people got to enjoy. Yeah. It's not about who gets a sign out in front of it, really. It's about knowing that, like, yeah. you made life easier and more, more, you know, more functional for, you know, a, a generation of kids. Well, that's, I mean, what you're talking about is gift economy. And gift economy is another example of forms of capital that is transcended in terms of value, but can be recognized. You can't actually recognize it. It's a pretty interesting thing. Um, I have this but fun you thing feel it in your heart. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah. You know it, so you already got it, you know, but, so. but here, but here's the thing is that within the context of a microeconomy that actually captures that, you know, like, okay, so Texas has the Texas um, cottage food law where you could, you could do a homegrown business. And as long as you're earning less than 60,000, there's no permits, there's no inspectors. So that's actually how we're going to introduce um, regenerative philosophies and help the people in the community move from being consumers to producers. So again, like the, the prototype we have is, you know, it's about three miles. If you walked a three mile loop, it's about 1200 houses, about 5,000 residents. And it's actually just working with them and then they do it themselves. So it looks like they did it because they did. And, uh, and we end up behind the scenes. And so the first phase is, you know, really helping them do uh, transactions with one another, but really introduce um, a way of recognizing non-monetary capital. And there's lots of it in the community, uh, gift economy and uh, 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 trust capital, et cetera. But the next one is helping them really move into a, a role of being a producer rather than a consumer. And that actually creates a, um, a multiplier effect. So it's essentially a stimulus from the bottom up and you, you end up using like the Texas cottage food law. So like there's a, um, um, uh, you know, uh, basically by, by helping people, you know, dust off the, co the, the cookbook and, and, you know, creating grandma's uh, salsa recipe and then selling it and you know that kind of thing that really really works that's really that really is a kick-ass thing but imagine them looking back and telling the story and doing it in a way that's like huh we did that i mean we we did it and we knew we could do it all the time and we did it <laughs> and then what well, we have actually these five phases we've defined uh, the first one is uh, um, uh, plants or just prepare the soil and the next one is uh, uh, plants the crop and the next one is uh, like uh, communities of practice it's basically working on your operations the next one's prosper and that's actually where they introduce um, uh, you know side by side with the US dollar in the in the community they have their own uh, uh, community currency that's exclusive there you can't get it outside it's just basically you know something they use inside kind of like a you know, buy local first but exclusive to the community and the fifth one is pollinate because the people that are in the community are now incentivized to share this with others so this is this is something you'd recognize because that's how we did is that what makes this viral is building in a mechanism by which they share it with others and they, they becomes their story because you you learn by teaching you heal by healing and they end up being the ones that do it you know so um so yeah i'm digging it it's a good project do you ever sleep yeah i do i sleep really really well and you, um, but your head spins the whole night i assume dreaming. well i i like i have this thing where uh I, I basically meditate nonstop and, and I just basically, uh, I breathe in, I breathe out and every breath is a meditation and it makes my life crazy simple. And uh, I share this, I live very, very Spartan and I, I really like it. I got these three daughters uh, and we're in this teeny room, there's two bunk beds 
Uh, and so I've got twins that are seven and a 10 year old and, uh, and they crash into me with their huge heads and ask me if I'm sleeping at two in the morning and we laugh about it. And then we just basically go swimming cause it's Texas and we can do that. And it's like basically the best life ever. Uh, and yeah, I do. I sleep really well. <laughs> I really do. I have a really, really good life, man. <laughs> and so, and so do I, I mean, it, it's definitely, um, you know, not the financially greatest life I probably have ever had. I've had both. I've had great financial life too, but I I learned as I think you learn and anybody who's truly, truly smart learns that money isn't what makes life great. Yeah. uh, Life is what makes life great. I I pay my people first. I'm a servant leadership, right? So I I always did too. Yeah. I know that about you. My skateboard factory opened. I didn't make any money. I I know that about you. I know that about you. And that creates an amazing, I was a staff sergeant in a combat communication squadron. You take care of your people first, right? So that's, uh, that's actually really good because, you know, then last night they all came over and they fed me chili. That made me very happy. In the end, I closed my skateboard factory and got almost all my people jobs right. you know, and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. and transitioned into something new. And in the end, I was out, I was out cold, losing the house and so on. So, you know, I mean, I was like, but they at least moved on their lives. And I didn't have to feel like I steered a bunch of people into a rock, you know what I mean? And just left yeah. them to die. So, uh, yeah. and that's important. I mean, I think you have to move on with some form, some form of honor, you know, and well, uh, I mean, I just, you just go back to your values. And, and, uh, I mean, I had the same thing, like, you know, the girl's mom left cause you know, she didn't like living poor and uh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a way to make my life simple. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, I like money, believe me, I'm not gonna, you know, money yeah. makes life more comfortable. Um, yeah. But if all you do is chase money, Right. Not really going to enjoy life. Well, here's the thing is that we have a unique opportunity in history. Like, like there's nobody that thinks that things are going to go back to normal. And there's a growing number of people that recognize that maybe normal wasn't working because we wouldn't be in this position if things were working, right? Like, yeah. let's just think about this, you know? So I see a unique opportunity. I would say it a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to, to demonstrate the quality of our character. So uh, does that mean that, uh, that I, I, if I get to earn my way to do that by um, living Spartan, I'm all for it. And then as a consequence, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be a pretty lucrative deal. So I actually have no concerns about it growing. I actually think it might grow too fast, which is why I would, I love to stay in touch with people like you because you have the wisdom of learned experience, right? Like that's the thing, like you got to, you got to tap into that wisdom and make sure that we do things uh, from a from a place of, of wisdom that you can only earn by falling down the stairs as a form of recreation, you know? So, uh, a form <laughs> of recreation. <laughs> no, but seriously, I always say that, like, the thing about skateboarding is funny, is it like the, the reward you get for being a really, really good skater is the privilege of rolling down the stairs backwards about 75% of the time, because a 25% success rate's a pretty kick-ass rate, <laughs> you know? That's so. why I'm really old school. I avoid staircases. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're that guy that's like, oh my God, did you see that? You're telling just yourself, right? I just was on one wheel over the coping. Oh my God. And you're like literally just giving yourself a commentary. Oh, I'm very, <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy with just the feeling of it all. Yeah, that's good stuff. So what's, uh, what's on your agenda for the rest of the day? We could probably talk for hours. I mean, we might have to do this every six months just to... Uh, well, I'm into it, man. I've got actually a bunch of meetings. There's this guy... Uh, that we're meeting with um, probably right now. Uh, and uh, he's with, uh, he's basically like the father of regenerative economics. And it's, 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 it's kick-ass, you know, like we did the public skate park development guide. Pete did a, d- a delightful job of, of moving it into the institution and then making it 
available to them so they would get credit for these great insights and it actually allowed us to institutionalize our, our preferences so you would get a greater number of higher quality skate parks done sooner and who cares about the credit so we're really using the same recipe here is it working with the institution so they they feel like oh my god look at these great insights that we have and it allows them to really start moving forward right um uh because there's a lot of capital opening up for doing neighborhood level type regeneration uh, because the government can't it's like basically running into a fiscal crisis and they don't know how to do things hyper local so um so i'm like basically buried with that kind of stuff and i'm kind of digging it actually uh so i kind of have to go off and do that um i'm i'm, I'm actually 20 minutes late for that but i'm aware that downstairs on your skateboard but I, but i'm aware that they're um I'm aware that they're waiting for me, so that's okay. <laughs> oh, all right, well, um, well, I'll let you go do that, and I will. But I'll uh, just say, I was talking to Jim Gray. Like, you don't know who he is. I mean, yeah. like, who the hell are you? I was talking to Jim, goddamn Gray, and uh, so, you know, <laughs> well, my pink, my pink extended. I love. Uh, I, I, you know, we could just go off on this forever. You know, I mean, I just like, I, I love that you have enough self confidence that you're doing something, knowing that you can help the world be a better place. And knowing that there's probably quite a few people who just think that that guy's crazy. People just don't believe people don't like to buy into change. You know what yeah. I mean? The, yeah. the, some people who live their complacent life and their, their job, which may not even be there a year from now, but because the world is changing out from under them, they don't know that, but right. they just don't want to buy into anything unless they have to. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, the thing is, is that um, the people in the communities already know what they need to do, but they are denied it because they don't believe they have access to capital. That's actually what it really comes down to. And uh, so we actually change that. And then when they have access to capital, they get the credit. I mean, it's basically like, I mean, to use, it's like to use our experience. It's sort of like, imagine all those kids saying, I could make a better skateboard company. And imagine we come in and we say, we could help you do that. And you get all the credit. And they're like, oh, really? <laughs> That's like basically what we're doing. So then the, the, mark, the marketing approach is very consistent with the philosophies of Anonymous. Where we just kind of come up under someone's elbow and say, we could help make that happen. And uh, so that's like literally how we're doing it. And so the, in the comment, we, yeah, and then we disappear. So the conversations are really actually quite energetic because they're like, shit, you just helped us solve a major problem. And we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's how we roll. So... Uh, so it's not that we're helping save the world. We're helping them save the world on their terms. That way they get the dignity back because the dignity was there the whole time. We're not colonializers giving them their dignity back. Like, like they already have it. They just, you know, what we're doing is changing the framing. So, uh, you know, you recognize it. I mean, shit, think about all those companies you made successful through your company. Like, I mean, how many people did I talk to in the middle of nowhere saying, I buy boards from Jim. They're pretty good boards. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is really, it's really awesome. Probably the coolest thing about that is knowing that you made stuff that people enjoyed all around the world. Mm -hmm. Literally just some kid stepped on something that you made in, in probably a yeah. hundred countries and just had a good time. Well, That's I had so many conversations with people in complete nobody, nowhere places that are like, I think Jim might be the only one that gives a shit about building boards in the U S uh, yeah. and uh, you know what I mean? So, and I wish I was still doing it, but you know, Hey, you know, so you can't win every battle and, and and honestly life life is awesome awesome to me now i you know still keep busy printing stickers and i don't have as much stress yeah yeah well i mean i would i would love to sign you up that's a separate conversation but i think you're well suited well, to I do will the type of state about more stuff and I, and I appreciate honestly i appreciate that you even value my value my conversation that you you run stuff by me and we talk about it. i just like it's nice it's nice feeling um that someone uh, understands that you you can add something to a conversation, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, you're the kind of guy who falls and then laughs and says, did you see that as if somebody just gave you a gift? <laughs> and, uh, and then like, I mean, cause that's how life is. Right. I mean, you know, we don't change unless things are uncomfortable and like, you know, you're the kind of guy who laughs as he's rolling down the stairs while you're telling yourself about what's going on and laughing about it. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> we usually talk about, you know, you, you step from knowledge into wisdom through faith. You take that leap of faith. You're like definitely that dude. Right. So, well, thank you. I, I do have fun just being who I am. I don't know how to be any different. So, uh, yeah. you know, yep. I, I suppose neither of us are going to change. So the world's got to deal with us. No, I'm recalcitrant in that regard. <laughs> don't expect me to change. I'm going back to my values. All right. Well, now you're half hour late to your meeting. So get your ass in there. Uh, I'll do it. We'll, we'll do this again. Thank you for taking the time to come join me here. And uh, for the 13 people that listen, it's fucking awesome. My mom will listen. I'll be 14. <laughs> oh no! And I just said, I just said fuck it. And now you're more <laughs> no, no, I say that all the time. But my mom will say something cool like, "You looked handsome in the video," <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like, "Mom, the guy with the skateboards, he is handsome, but that's not me." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I love you, buddy. You yeah, uh, take take care, brother. Well, let's talk again soon. All right, cheers. And don't forget to send me this recording because you're recording it, not me. support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.